Well, hello there, Jet Airs here. Welcome to another edition of The Attic. And this time we find ourselves in sunny Los Angeles, Newport Beach, California, and uh, we've brought The Attic with us here on the road. And today I'm very excited to share with you that we have another industry luminary in end user compute, Scott Manchester. Scott is a EUC legend, luminary. He's been at Microsoft for over 20 years, he's held positions in networking, consumer, gaming, and he's been in the uh, end user compute space since 2012, and he's just developed innovation after innovation after innovation. In addition to that, he's uh, an entrepreneur at heart. He's got three businesses that he started, and he's a wonderful leader. So super excited to have Scott here today with us, and we're gonna have a great conversation with him about his origin story and about where the EUC space is going. Scott, welcome to the attic. So wonderful to have you here. And uh, in Southern California, only the second time we've been able to do the attic in person. So uh, wonderful to have you here. EUC legend, entrepreneur, great leader. Really excited to uh, talk to you about technology, where EUC is going. But since this is the attic, we always like to start with origin stories and uh, your personal origin story. So maybe you can start by just sharing with us you know, where you grew up and what you were like as a kid that type of thing. Yeah, well, certainly the attic concept is certainly resonates with me because certainly st started from humble beginnings, you know, like many of us. So my parents got divorced at a young age and I went to live with my dad and we lived all throughout the Seattle and Tacoma area, you know, and um, my mom lived in the coast of Washington in a little town called Westport. Uh, it's a fishing community and my grandparents are both fishermen and commercial fishermen. So that was kind of a big part of my life. In fact, I paid my way through college in the early days working on charter boats in Westport. Uh, make pretty good money in the summertime, you know, working oh, yeah. as a deckhand out there. It was kind of- That's the, tough work though, right? It's tough work and, and it's another good thing about learning discipline, right? You get up every morning at five o'clock, you're at the dock by 5.30, getting everything ready, and you're working with people all day long. Sometimes people are sick, sometimes they're having a blast, sometimes they're out drinking too much the night before. <laughs> you know, you deal with all kinds Typical of people problems. and situations. I think all those experiences, yeah. you know, really help shape you and get you ready for, you know, your, your work life. I went to college there at the University of Washington in my MBA at Washington State University. Always in the shadow of Microsoft. My first real job out of college was working for the, one of the co-founders of Microsoft, Paul Allen. I uh, worked for him for a few years doing just various, you know, technical, you know, innovative things for him on his various properties and estates and yachts and all kinds of fun technical stuff. Kind of in the home. So how did you space. meet him? That must have been kind of fortuitous to get a job at Vulcan. This is in the yeah, early nineties. Yeah, it was, um, let's see, it would have been about 93, 94. I worked at a little Ma and Pa computer shop near the UW campus. And in fact, I used to put my jacket on after class and service the computers on campus. And one day his IT manager came in and they wanted to order computers uh, for his facility and ended up getting the opportunity to provide that service. And later they offered me a full-time position there. And That's after right. working for Paul, I, I basically took the work I was doing for him and, and, uh, and started a consulting company doing that service for okay. other local folks as well in the home automation industry. And, okay, uh, great. And so were you in an attic or? I <laughs> uh, started in a garage. In a garage, Yeah, okay. like many great tech companies, you know, born out of very humble beginnings. So that's kind of the, the story I had. It started in a garage and built into something much bigger. And I think it's a, it resonates certainly looking here at the space where your company started. It certainly feels some connection to that. Exactly. As well. The humble beginnings, I think it sharpens the mind. So how did you end up going from uh, your own uh, startup to Microsoft? What was the uh, 
path there? Well, I always, you know, working for Paul and, and, and working in the shadows of Microsoft, when I, when I built my company, my home automation company, 90% of my clientele were Microsoft people. In fact, our office, after we moved out of my garage, was right next to Microsoft campus, one block away from the campus. So my clientele was all Microsoft people. And uh, when the opportunity came to kind of go do something different, you know, Microsoft was the one and only place I applied to. Correct. I've and been so there 21 years. What kind of work were you doing actually with your own company? It was, it was it's custom work. home automation systems. So yachts and homes, high-end homes, putting in you know uh, audio distribution systems, security systems, lighting controls, HVAC controls, things like that. So back in the day when some of that stuff was very exotic. When you I'm couldn't sure. buy it on Amazon, exactly. and, you know, it was something that was a little more eclectic that uh, you had to do a lot of custom programming and such to get those kind of things to work. And at the time, it was sort of the boom of the Microsoft stock and you know, everybody was calling in rich to Microsoft and building big fancy homes. So automation was a, was a big deal in the, in the Seattle area, especially in the early 2000s. Yeah, so my business grew pretty significantly. Reading about Bill Gates' house and all the automation I worked on that it. he had in his yeah, house. I worked on it, on his house, provided a number of different technologies for that place as well. Awesome. So tell us about your first job at Microsoft. How you end up at Microsoft as like a product manager? Or? Actually, I was a technical evangelist okay. uh, was my first job. They and still had that name back then. even. They did, yeah. Awesome. That, that role has kind of gone a bit of the wayside uh, within Microsoft. There's still little pockets where you see that title, but for the most part, it's mm -hmm. more product managers and then uh, you know different, different roles that do a lot of the outbound engagement. That was really what my role was around working with partners. Do you remember who like hired yourself. you? How did how did I you do? Get hired? Yeah, so it was Pekka Nikkinen, uh was my manager, and okay. at the time I was uh, working for a home automation company called AMX, and we were building technologies to allow you to use network-based control, IP-based control for audio streaming and such. And I was working on a technology called UPnP, and uh, I ended up doing a session at uh, Windows Hardware Evangelist Conference, Hardware Hardware Engineering Conference, WinHEC is what it used to be called. And uh, Pekka was the guy that was kind of brought me in as an external speaker to go present there. And then mm -hmm. later, you know, we made a connection and ended up hiring me to go lead that technology within Microsoft. So then you uh, you're, you started 2001, you started in that role. How, talk about your progression over the years. It sounds like you, I know you have a number of patents that you hold that you uh, got while you're in your early years there. So yeah. Talk about the progression. So I, I started off working in, uh, so tech evangelist for home networking and home automation obviously leveraging the previous experience I had there. And uh, over time, I, I really wanted to get my hands dirty and start you know, building and creating products, not just out there talking to partners about existing product. So I transitioned from a technical evangelist role to a lead PM working on networking technologies at Microsoft. And there I created a, a bunch of IP for Microsoft and created technologies like what's now called Wi-Fi protected setup. So that originally was called Windows Connect Now. It was a technology I developed. Uh, to make setting up wireless networks easier. So I had 15 patents on that tech. Uh, then I ended up getting into media, media streaming and media management. And I led the development of the media technologies in Windows 7 and Windows 8. And then from there, got into the second screen remoting and home automation, or I'm sorry, virtualization space. Right. Uh, went from game streaming to more enterprise-based solutions. And I've been doing that for the last decade now at Microsoft. So one of my favorite things I learned about you was that when I turn my phone around, and the, uh, it changes, you are the holder that of this patent. That is my very first patent at Microsoft. Yeah, I did that in 2005. It's called the self-orienting display. Self-orienting display. So That's right. how did this happen? Just had an idea. You know, I was sitting in my office, and, and at the time, people were starting to really get into adding second graphics cards to their machines and setting up multi and That was kind of the big thing around Microsoft in the early 2000s. 
And some people would orient their, their screens this way if they were reading or coding or something, and people would have their screens this way. And it used to be really a challenge, like digging into the dry, graphics drivers to be able to set the orientation to make it different. Uh -huh. And at the time, Palm Pilots and, and iPacks, compact iPacks were kind of the rage as well for portable devices. And I started right. thinking about, you know, if I could turn my iPack or turn my screen and have it just orient to, you know, oriented like my face, so it claims my patent and uses various technologies like your facial recognition. And at the time, there wasn't really a lot of front-facing cameras. It was kind of thinking about where things were going and where the future was. Um, other claims were like gyrometers, accelerometers, mercury switches, you know, all the technology. That's, if you've ever done patents, it's all about the claims, all the various ways you can accomplish, you know, the idea that you're putting forth. Right. So, yeah, it just kind of came from... So, yeah you know just trying to figure out how I could do this in a more simpler way so it seems to me that you went to one of the world's largest software companies and you you're sort of like a serial entrepreneur inside of Microsoft you've had a lot of different ideas over the years and then I, I read even that you had you it, you were about 10 years in and you you fell in love with martial arts and you uh, started your own martial arts uh, company so tell yeah. us a little bit about that another garage that startup happened. yeah another garage startup you know I had my wanted to get my kids into martial arts at an early age and I was a wrestler in high school, and my dad was a wrestler, so that was kind of the, the starting point was finding a sport that was kind of, you know, would, would help them grow and in, 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 in get into high school. Your ears look pretty good for a wrestler. I've avoided the, uh, the, 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 the cauliflower ears pretty well, but I've had a few needles in my ears to drain them over the years. But, uh, you know, getting the kids into that sport at an early age was kind of the idea, and it led mm -hmm. to us meeting a really great instructor, and we kind of started doing classes in my garage, you know, <laughs> another, another starting from humble beginnings thing and then later led to us starting multiple gyms. Uh, now it's actually, it's a full franchise business and we franchise in like 20 states across the U.S. And, I, I heard it's one of the larger kind of martial arts studios in it, Pacific it's, Northwest. It's actually not, not a huge facility, but, but jujitsu in general, that, you know, that's one of the, one of the martial arts that we offer there is a huge, you know, growing. Uh, I think it's the fastest growing martial arts still. That and Muay Thai should be really popular with the you know MMA. That's really the basis of that. So, so you know we're part of a very big program you know nationwide, worldwide around jujitsu. So, can you share any of the principles of that that you apply in business? I think you learn how to just work with people, right? And I think that's one of the core things of, of being good in business, right? Because it's all about relationships and you know, the relationships we've established over the years and the relationships you've established with other people. It's interesting how that. How important that is to really do anything important. It's about partnering. And I think you learn that in, in a martial art, especially something really intimate like a combat sport like jiu-jitsu, because if you do it wrong, you could really hurt somebody. You have to really have a you know this this contract with the person you're working with. That right. You need to do it in such a way we call it flow rolling, right? Where you're just moving and, and letting them get moves and you get moves and though I wasn't always great at that. <laughs> that instinct to fight and, and win comes out sometimes. So you really have to, you know. Put yourself in the right headspace to right. make sure that it's a great experience for both parties. And I think that's a basis for any good partnership. So let's fast forward to 2012, I think it is, when you said you started uh, working on virtualization. Yeah, that's about right. Maybe you can share with us, you know, it sounds like you had some great experiences in different areas at Microsoft and you land in this end user compute space. Talk, talk to us about. Yeah, it was, it was kind of almost, you know, circumstantial, you know, starting in networking and then working on media, then working on second screen remoting. They're all kind of the building blocks of, of virtualization. Mm -hmm. So when a role opened up to work on a new incubation team that was working on our first generation game streaming service. You know, I was a natural candidate to go work on that because of my, you know, areas that I had some expertise in within Microsoft. 
and I found it really interesting. It like brought together all that tech, you know, that I've been working on for so long within Microsoft. And the applications are really compelling when you think about the enterprise space and, and, and consumer space and for gaming and all these other scenarios. So it kind of, like many of us, you know, once we dip our toe into the end user compute industry, we just get immersed in it, you know, and, and just get swallowed up by all the opportunities and, yeah. and activities and things going around. Uh, that space. So. It's interesting, a lot of people I don't think realize that a lot of the innovation for end user compute and the enterprise actually comes from gaming, right? And Gaming's a really compelling scenario, yeah. right? And, and I think it's, it's had its ups and downs in terms of popularity and it's obviously on a, on a high right now, you know, you see so many of these mm -hmm. new services coming out now that offer ways of accessing entertainment, you know, stream to you. I mean, even things like Netflix, right? Those are all kind of just setting people's mindset that I don't have to own something or physically touch something to be able to consume that content or be immersed in that experience. And virtualization is just basically taking your PC experience and giving you a Netflix-like experience for it, right? You don't right. have to actually own the disc or you have to own the media. It could be streamed to you from somewhere else. Yep, thanks to some of the work you did on networking. Yeah, well, all of us, <laughs> yes. you know. So, uh, when I uh, first met you, we were calling you kind of on a regular basis at Agile, checking in with you on you know, RDP and just where things were going. And I think you sort of, for a couple years, we didn't have a whole lot to talk about. And then all of a sudden, I think it was end of 2017, early 2018, you uh, started to share with us that you were building this spaceship in the, uh, in the, <laughs> in the uh, garage and that we were going to have a lot to talk about. So t tell us how, sort of how, how you ended up you know, really working on a, a Windows Virtual Desktop at this yeah, that's what it was called at the time. So, uh, you know, I, I came over to the RDS team after the, the game streaming service that we were working on. We kind of shut that down. Uh, it was sort of an incubation project. We were funded for a couple of years. And it was a natural, you know, migration for me to go over and work on the RDS team and take some of the technology that I had been working on on game streaming, apply some of that tech, and, and then just work with the great people that had been building that product for many, many years within Microsoft. And I came in an interesting time because we were just getting ready to, to go to market with Azure Remote App, an early application remoting uh, SaaS service offering that we were building. Um, that was a really innovative product and, and the team you know, had some, so many things that were just way ahead of their time on that product. And, and uh, unfortunately, it just didn't have the right you know, uh, partner extensibility opportunities. It didn't support full desktops on the apps. And some of the core Azure technologies to really make that a viable business weren't in place. It's all place. about timing in life, right? It is. <laughs> but it's just like anything, you know, having going through a V1 experience really helps shape you. And you learn a lot of the mistakes that you can then apply and, and, you know, uh -huh. and build things in a different way. So the team kind of, they went through a bit of a reorg and, and uh, the RDS team uh, basically was, was left to kind of pick up the pieces after that and decide what we were going to do next. And, and we thought, you know, there's, a real, there's definitely a market here and there's definitely a need for a service like this, but if we built something that provided a lot of flexibility for partners to take the product, extend it, build in other, you know, tools and services and wrap around it, uh, add different endpoint devices, add different protocols, add all these things and make it really more of a platform that can be built upon, we probably have a much better opportunity to be successful. And so it, Azure Virtual Desktop, well, originally it was called Windows Virtual Desktop, was born out of that. Um, so really impressive team that I worked with, you know, the engineers and my, my peers on the PM side, you know, everybody just did some real brilliant work and, and, uh, and we were given a lot of latitude. Like you said, we were out in the barn building a spaceship and mm -hmm. just given a lot of autonomy to go off and kind of innovate and build something. And by the time we'd put it together and got a chance to put it in front of the leadership team, it was another good timing thing because the leadership team was hearing from some of our largest customers that we should really have a first party solution on Azure to allow people to bring their virtualization workloads there and take advantage of it. 
And also, we saw a real opportunity to create a better experience than skinning Windows Server to make it look like client, to actually take the Windows client and, and build in a multi-user capability right into the Windows client. So there was right. a number of folks on my team that, that really drove that product forward and that became what's now we call Windows 10 multi-user. Yep, which um, is really the one of the greatest innovations from a cost it, it really is, yeah. It, it's such a great experience now for people to have a full Windows experience, you know, and for admins to be able to ensure better app compatibility and to have that, that flow of updates coming from, you know, this now enterprise class multi-user environment that basically is the same experience somebody would get on a Windows 10 device or Windows 11 device. So, so I'll, I'll never forget the very first uh, time we came to Seattle so that you could share with us some of this. and. We, we uh, were with Simon Cleffin and we said, we're going to take you to a, <laughs> this is the IHOP a fancy breakfast. And yeah, we ended up at the IHOP. And uh, that was kind of a funny moment, which speaks to your humility, right? You, you didn't even have to look at the menu. You knew exactly what you <laughs> were going right. to have. That's they right. knew the who you were. The omelet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which was great. And, and, you know, obviously we ended up together on the stage uh, at Ignite when you ended up really revealing what you were doing. There's a common theme here, doesn't it? Like this backdrop of the place where your company started and all these kind of yeah. ideas that started off real small that turned into something big. It's yeah. definitely a theme. Yeah, well, talk to us about how you... Uh, how you ended up sort of then taking it to Windows 365, because obviously you now had this building block and uh, in your kind of entrepreneurial bug, that wasn't quite enough. You've now you know, moved to Windows 365. So maybe yeah, you can help everybody understand the difference between the two and sure. kind of how they, how they work together. So just like with, with AVD, a lot of the, the genesis of it was driven by our customers and partners kind of help shaping, you know, what we should build to support their businesses and, and the needs of our customers. And we built Azure Virt Virtual Desktop and we had run a great preview on it um, about two years from the time we had a, our first customer on it till the time we declared GA. And then I'd been in market for about six to nine months. And uh, again, they, we had some customers come and saying, look, this Azure Virtual Desktop's awesome, but I, you know, I don't have a lot of in-house expertise to build and maintain this, you know, as a way that Microsoft could, could do this, you know. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we had a great set of partners out there that were doing a lot of that work and whether they were building tools or providing support on behalf of the customer. But there's a set of customers that really want one throat to choke, right? They want one vendor that they're getting this end-to-end -end solution from. And there was enough feedback from customers there that we decided that we probably need to go build something, even another layer above Azure Virtual Desktop that, that builds on all the amazing innovation and capabilities that Azure Virtual Desktop provides, but provides a full SaaS-based solution so okay. that customers don't even need to have any in-house expertise and allow them to manage that environment in the same way they manage physical devices so they can leverage their existing in-house expertise on endpoint management. And so that led to the, you know, um, basically walking away from Azure Virtual Desktop so I could focus my time and energy on this new product. And we went dark for a couple of years, as you know. We had to work. We knew you were in, working on another spaceship. Yeah, <laughs> we're building another spaceship in another, in another uh, uh, distant barn. Uh, but we did this, you know, at a, we were building this at a time when, when COVID kind of, you know, we started the team in January and then COVID hit in March in, in earnest. And in, in, in fact, it came to, you know, Washington State first in the U.S. And that shut us all down right in the time we were starting to build the product. But it, it actually helped us in many ways because we formed that team and we built the product all working remote. And it was about maybe six months that we actually started using the product to, to be productive and work in a hybrid environment while we were building it for others. So right. no better way to build a product than actually have to, you know, it's like you building the car while you're driving it, right? You right. know immediately what you need. Well, wait, I need some way to turn this thing. I need a, some way to stop this thing. Right. And so that was kind of how the product shaped, you know. Uh, so we had we had a, a great uh, 
private preview program of us dog fooding it ourselves, right? Like champagneing like, it. Champagneing it. There you go. Now remember, humble beginnings. We were yes. dog fooding it. And so uh, again, timing, right? Because the world really needed exactly was, what you were building. What an incredible timing! Like literally within weeks of when the team, you know, was chartered to move forward on this, COVID hit, and the whole world changed, and and the mm -hmm. need for this technology just went up, you know, exponentially. Uh, so it was it was a really interesting time for us to see how this was affecting you know people's work environment, what was happening now that people were trying to be productive working from home, and corporations trying to ensure they could maintain productivity while also ensuring you know security, uh, not leaving these holes now that all their workforce was now highly distributed and their corporate assets were now all spread around the world as opposed to being all within contained within their corporate offices. So yeah, there's no better way to, to build a product than to you know, live through the experiences Super that our slow. customers were and, and build something that really suits their needs. So maybe for the audience, just because I'm with IGEL, you can share a little bit about you know, this sort of somewhat uh, fascinating partnership between a Linux German operating system and uh, you know, this American behemoth of, a, of an operating system. It probably wouldn't be obvious to a lot of listeners how this uh, would come, come to pass. I tell you, and I look back at my career at Microsoft, I've almost always worked with smaller companies to get things moving, get things starting, and build some momentum. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was really fortunate that that at breakfast we had at IHOP and in Bellevue, right? Mm -hmm. It was clear that you guys were forward thinking, that you guys were hungry, you guys I think were in third spot, you know, in the endpoint device that type at that point, ready to really move up. Uh, and I think that was just a, a match made in heaven. Like that was really a great opportunity for us to work together and say, okay, well, we've got this, you know, opportunity, but it's kind of like it's not really spec yet. There's a whole bunch of unknowns, and you might be building, you know, doing some coding, and you end up throw away because we go in a different direction. And you guys really stepped up to the challenge, you and Jeff and Simon and everybody. Really impressed us early on, and it didn't take long before we started to see results and you guys making great progress and building some of the first. Uh, you know, dedicated AVD endpoint devices. In fact, it led to us being on stage to a very, you know, signature moment at, at Ignite. Was that 2019? 2019, I yeah. think. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a pretty significant deal. We were able to announce that not only did we have this great new, you know, capability with these endpoint devices, but we already had customers using it and we were able to showcase, you know, the value of this. Yeah, this was the highlight of my career at IGEL for sure, if not my entire tech career, standing on a stage at Ignite with you, Coca-Cola, Microsoft. It was definitely a, a unique moment for us as a Linux innovation partner with you. Yeah, and we're super excited for the opportunities we have to continue to work with your team as we go forward now with Windows 365. And I know there's some really exciting stuff we're working on right now between the, the two teams here yep. uh, that I'm looking forward to sharing. Again, maybe in a future session we'll talk about yes. some of the cool some stuff we're building now. Some of the things that are happening also with IGEL has, you know, like you said, nothing great is done by yourself. It's the ecosystem, and so for us, from that moment when we were number three, you know, to be kind of in this number one Linux spot and also now working with all these OEMs as hardware partners, this is like kind of a, a major milestone for IGEL, right? what, you Not only did you guys move up, but you did it without stepping on anybody else. You guys, you know, put them on the bus that you got on, right? Because right. now they're, you, you, your original competitors are now using your products, and I think that's it's a really Microsoft cool play. <laughs> yeah, it works well, doesn't it? It yeah. does, yeah. Well, it's the age-old rule, right? Treat people the way you want to be treated. That's right. So I would love to ask you a question. Since you've been at Microsoft from 2001 through 2022, you've worked, I think, only under two CEOs during that time, but you had Not two very three. different CEOs, right? I've actually been there through Gates, uh, Balmer, and now and, Satya. And Satya. So mm -hmm. maybe you can share with us a little bit about that, because obviously uh, everybody's really uh, 
aspires to some of the values that Satya brings to the table and certainly the stock and the strategy have followed, but it also feels like there's a cultural uh, kind of mandate inside of Microsoft. So I'd love to explore that with you. Yeah, it's certainly been interesting to see, you know, the the foundation that Bill started with this company, you know, it definitely was a thing that attracted me to the company. You know, I remember writing an email to Bill, Bill G at Microsoft.com <laughs> when I worked at Vulcan and told him someday I'm going to be, you know, working for you at Microsoft, you know, and maybe someday I'll be the CEO, you know, naive 20-something kid, you know. Um, hey, but it's good to have <laughs> aspirations. Yeah, for sure. And uh, when I decided I was going to get into the corporate environment, you know, and I sold my, my home automation company, I, like I said, I only applied to one company, and it was because I wanted to work for Bill. I wanted to be there at Microsoft and, and be part of this amazing journey, you know, working at Ma and Pa computer shops and watching Windows from 1.0 to evolve. And, like, I really wanted to be part of that. Mm -hmm. So I, I was just an awe, awestruck, you know, and I had a number of opportunities to work closely with Bill, and, and, uh, and it just it was like a, a dream come true. And I was really sad when, when he stepped down, but I was excited because Bomber brings a lot of energy, and as we all know, his, his points of view around working with developers, but it's more than developers, just partners in general, right? So he mm -hmm. brought a big part of that theme, you know, to Microsoft, and that resonated with me as well because I always thought that partners is really, hey, do anything important at Microsoft. Um, and then when Satya took over the reins, you know, the, the culture, as you pointed out, and everything just changed in a really positive way. And it's been really amazing to see the turnaround and just how well people work together at Microsoft. You know, we talk about partnerships. It's both internal and external that becomes a really important component to do anything big. You know, uh, Windows 365, you know, it sits on top of Azure Virtual Desktop. And, you know, we, we rely on that team so much to deliver the key components of this service, you know, and that partnership is just as partnership critical as even any external your own company. Yes. Yeah, and Satya really lays the foundation to, to do that, to do big things when you can work with other teams within Microsoft and, and all collaborate and contribute to doing something big. Windows 365 is just a great example of that, you know, the kind of thing that, that can be built under a leader like Satya. So you've obviously seen some three different uh, distinct leadership styles. How do you uh, describe your own leadership qualities? And well, I'd like to believe that I could take a little piece out of all of those okay. folks. You know, That's I love the, uh, the forward thinking and innovation that Bill brings, and I love the energy and the focus on partners that, that Bill brings. And then I love the people aspect of what Satya brings, mm -hmm. you know, really focusing on people and, and, and people's growth and, and diversity. Those are kind of the key themes that he brings. And, and the cultural change is just phenomenal. Just how quickly things can turn around with the right leaders and the right kind of mentality. Yeah, I've noticed that you've sort of drafted a, a very special team of people that are uh, you know, excited to be working alongside you. And certainly that seems like it's contributed to some of the innovation you've been able to oh, deliver. Oh, absolutely. Phenomenal team. Yeah, so I was very fortunate both with, um, you know, my, my previous team, my incubation team, uh, working on game streaming and with Windows 365, everybody was handpicked, you know. So I got to pick yeah. people that I worked with in the old Azure Remote app and RDS days and some few folks from the AVD team, people that had deep expertise in Intune and endpoint management, and then just people, fresh people with fresh ideas that had no industry experience. And bringing uh, the right mix of those people in has been just an incredible pairing of people that a little know where the bodies are buried and know you know a little bit something about the industry and partners but then people that just aren't bound by any of those things right. and just think you know out of the box a bit and we've done a really good job of mixing in a blend of people at various levels and various diverse backgrounds and expertise in different fields in fact we just hired a, a snowboard instructor that's right? great <laughs> yeah i mean they say uh diversity right and it's like a word that's thrown around a lot but like what you just described really is a cauldron of you know people that have unique ideas and 
are excited to bring some you, kind of innovation to market. If you want to take, build a product that's going to service the world, you have to have representation yes. of the world. Speaking of talented members of your team, we had the uh, privilege of having one of your brightest on the attic, actually really probably the youngest person we've ever had on the attic, and you know, he uh, is one of those people that's very excited to get up and work for you. He actually relocated across the world to come uh, you're talking about, you know, yeah. work for you, Christian Brinkhoff, right? And so um, you know, he mentioned in the attic when we were, he was talking about working for you, uh, how you really balance the aspirations and the hard work to get something to market with family and I know I got to meet your wife when she came out to uh, Germany and I can tell that you put family very high and that you have a lot of value around you know the human component of this so maybe you can talk a little bit about the I know I think this is a hot topic nowadays with the work-life balance and the mandates do you come back to the office whatever right so just talk a little bit about that piece of it yeah and certainly you know, uh, it's a it's a big thing at Microsoft trying to find that balance. You know, in the early days of Microsoft, it was notorious that people would have beds in their office and they would just sleep there and work there all the time. And 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 although that that can be an exciting thing in certain phases of a company's you know journey, it's not sustainable. You can't retain and keep good talent keeping you know I mean working in that environment. So it's it's obviously you know a balance because when you're doing building something great and, and really out in front of the industry trying to be innovative, you, you you gotta put the time and energy in and, and, and have the right people making the right decisions, but you can't just burn them out, right? And and this is you know it's a SaaS service offering. This isn't something we, we ship it and it's in a box and, and then you know we we're done and we go on. This is constant innovation, constant development. And so we need these people to be able to be in a, in a very sustainable mode where they can work and, and feel like they're able to have that balance between their personal lives. So it's important to me as well as it is on the members of the team. Um, we don't always uh, achieve our goals of trying to strike that balance, but we try to make up things when we can. You know, there's obviously ebbs and flows of when things get super busy and we try to celebrate all the achievements and then take the downtime and, and do things together. And, I think, you know, just like you and I spend time outside of, you know, our work lives doing things, personal things together, I think that's a big part of things as well, is kind of building a, a good team and, and having opportunity to get to know them on a more personal basis. Christian has traveled around with me and we've got to hang out and do different things along yeah. with other, many other members of the team. I like what he said, I think, on the attic where he goes to these cities and he makes sure that he seeks out to do one thing in these He's cities. very good about that, yeah. yeah. Which is good, right? Because then you have a real memory and also, yeah, just sort of opens your mind a little bit. And then, you know, working in this space, like many of us in this space, like we're building technology that enables people to be productive outside of the office, to be productive anywhere in the world and getting access to corporate resources. So as a leader of a team building this product, obviously that's something we want to enable people to be living the same, you know, scenario that, that we're building the product to support. So we support full work from home scenarios. And in fact, yeah. we encourage people to, to be in different parts of the world. You know, so they can bring in representation of what's happening in their local, you know, areas that uh, that we can include in the product. So we have teams that are highly distributed. Though it was great that Chris John decided to move to the U.S. It wasn't a requirement. He could have stayed in the Netherlands if he wanted to. So I think it's amazing. You're living this too, right? So every time I talk to you, you're, you've been <laughs> in state, Phoenix, yeah. and then now you're back in Eastern Washington. So you're. That's and, right. And this was, I think, a, a principle that. Before COVID, you probably were pretty resident and thought you needed to be thought, in, Re in Redmond. I mean, this probably yeah. is a remarkable shift for even you. 
yeah, honestly, I thought I was going to retire, you know, going to the office five days a week and, and then retire and then be able to go do these kind of adventures, you know, living in different parts of the country and traveling and, and to be able to do that. You mean you, you can't know. get a tan like that in Seattle? No, this is partially <laughs> uh, the weekend here in Newport and a little bit of Arizona as yes. well. But yeah, being able to, to, to live that and then, and then thinking about the experiences that I want and then making sure that the people within the team are having the same opportunities and experiences and that freedom to be where they want to be and be closer to family or friends or whatever uh, yeah and that really goal. comes down to like actually delivering results at that point right you can see here yeah and, as long as they're we build the technologies that give people their lives back oftentimes you know when people can get close to family we've had a number of kids we hired out of college that moved away from their families moved across the country and are now going well really you could be back closer to my parents or closer right. to my friends and and they're actually moving back into those yeah, states maybe we'll start to see more multi-generational families together yeah. having Sunday dinner <laughs> there you go <laughs> so uh, you know I know we're gonna run out of time here but I think we we got to ask you kind of what you see in the future the industry is going through a lot of changes right now obviously the two big stakeholders in this space Citrix at the beginning of the year you know merging in with Tibco uh, which we should see finalized here in the next few weeks and then VMware and Broadcom last week right like the 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 earth is shifting not only in terms of how this technology is consumed but where they're consuming it from, and so I'd love to get your thoughts on kind of, you know, how how the how does this play out? What do the next five years look like? And yeah, so we did have an opportunity in April of this year to showcase some of the forward-looking investments that we're thinking about with Windows 365. So we showed four different technologies. One was called Windows 365 App, which is probably the the shortest term. Uh, development where we're bringing the Windows 365 experience natively into Windows so you won't need to install any software you can just sign in with your your AED credentials and get access to your Windows 365 without installing any software and once that software is in in box in Windows 11 we start to showcase some of the deep shell integration that we can do and we showed Windows 365 switch which allows you to just basically swipe or click a button and switch between your local experience and the virtualization experience. So if you've got to bring, my, bring your own PC type of scenario and you're moving between your personal life and work life, just a simple swipe or a, a click and you're moving between your virtual and local machine. And then we showed a couple of more forward-looking scenarios like Windows 365 Boot, which allows you to pick up a device, log in with your face ID or any uh, biometrics, and get straight into your Windows 365 cloud experience bypassing the local operating system. And I gotta think this is sort of one of the nirvana moments, right? Where you just don't have this clunky, get to a desktop, double click on it, wait for four minutes for it to load up, and then you're in some virtual uh, world, but to have yeah. that sort of like direct boot, this to me seems. And this is all about TAM expansion. That's really what Windows 365 was about, is, ex is extending the total addressable market. And the market as it exists today is largely serving people that can understand those concepts, like an operating system layered on top of an operating system and an app that's sitting here that's actually running over there and though it doesn't really have direct connectivity to the other apps running here. Those are pretty complex concepts. We in the end user compute industry, they just take these things for granted. But when you truly want to build something that, that grows the market, not simply shuffles people from one solution to another, you have to solve some of those problems. You have to make it simpler so that the average person can sit behind this without any special training, without any overhead of IT setting things up and be productive. So you got to remove those seams. So Windows 365 Swipe, Windows 365 Boot, the Inbox app, and we even showed a forward-looking scenario. We are talking about that four to five year kind of thing. You're gonna see the, the physical devices and the virtual services start to blend even more so. So we showed this concept of Windows 365 offline, 
where even in a disconnected state, so normally I get access to my virtual machine, it's streamed across you know, the public internet, but to be able to have that synchronized. So while you're using it, we're actually synchronizing it. If there's any disconnect, that I actually have a copy of that local, that virtual machine locally, and I can run it in a very secure way on, on specific hardware that supports a very secure environment to run that workload. So I have all the, the security you know, capabilities right. that virtualization traditionally brings forward. So this concept of Windows 365 offline is really the vision, and there's so many click stops along the way that we can do very innovative things. I did another interview just a few months back where we talked about just changing the behavior of OneDrive, for instance. Knowing that I have more than one device, my physical device and my virtual device, just changing the behavior, like if I open a file on my, in my cloud PC, synchronize that file on my work machines as well. So if I am offline, it's already there waiting for me. So I'm right. working on a PowerPoint, I've got connectivity, uh, and then I you know, get on the plane and I don't have connectivity, well that file synced to my laptop, so I've got access to it while I'm on the flight. Those are just little things that we can do to start to work towards that full the, goal. The great user experience that's yeah. seamless across devices. So we talked about some of those click stops that, that we'll start to build in those capabilities before we, we hit that full offline mode. But you're going to see a lot more technologies over the few next couple months and years uh, that really build on this. We announced at Build just uh, uh, last week, uh, or two weeks ago now, I guess, the um, Microsoft DevBox, which is another Windows 365 powered solution that enables uh, admins to build out an environment uh, for developers where they can be subscribed to multiple different dev environments and easily create and destroy these environments as they need. Really innovative solution now really targeting a specific set of users. That's yeah, beautiful and it seems like the North Stars that you and I first talked about, cost, complexity, connectivity, you're attacking all three of Addressing these. Addressing all of those. Yeah, yeah. that's great. So you may not become the CEO of, of Microsoft, but I'm not counting you out, but you know, Bill Gates famously said that he wanted to put a PC on every desk. Do you want to put a Windows 365 on every device in the world? What's your aspirational yeah, goal? Yeah, our kind of our, our, our mission statement, right, is to make you know access to your, your, your Windows 365 environment available on any device, anywhere, anytime. Uh, and then to do that in, in more innovative and creative ways, and certainly, devices, endpoint devices that allow you access to that, to see that, you know, kind of continue to evolve. Maybe soon you'll be able to connect to it from your TV, or maybe you'll be able to carry a device like we're all staying in hotels for this event we're at here, right? And like, what if I could bring a puck and plug it into the TV at my hotel and have access to my corporate environment, right? And exactly. Have a second screen, you know, we carry a laptop, we only got a single screen. What if I could extend my desktop to that big screen that's in that, in that uh, hotel room I'm in now and, and be able to take Teams calls on that? And, just so many areas for innovation now. On top oh, of I think this. Bill would be very happy to see that you're uh, taking his uh, Pride and Joy windows and bringing it into well, in fact, this sort of mo modern. Uh, we were very fortunate in February. Uh, so we started the team in, in, in January, March timeframe, and around February we had an opportunity to take our vision doc, doc so the, the framework of what Windows 365 was going to be, and we got a chance to sit down with Bill and walk him through it and, and got to hear firsthand what he thought about it. Oh, that must have been a. It was very inspirational, yeah. It was very inspirational. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming down here to Newport, being part of Disrupt. Thank you for uh, the partnership with IGEL and really being a believer in what we could do together. You were one of the first people that really took us uh, and put your arm around us. And uh, we were very appreciative at IGEL for that partnership. And you know, I think we st still have a few chapters to write together before this is over. But um, you know, thank you for being part of the attic. This is a very special uh, 
time for us. I, I'll, I'll let you have the last word. We always like to just, you know, this is a, a, a pr pretty uh, big community that we speak to uh, with this that is in the end user compute space. As you know, it's kind of like a family. I, I know uh, you were in uh, Phoenix with the end user compute masters group. We all uh, kind of have come up through this last two decades together. So, you know, anything you want to share with them? Uh, well, I just, parting words? I should like to, to highlight you and your, your team a bit as well because you know this partnership's been very symbiotic beneficial for both of us and I think what you guys have done with your with these events you know you, you know, the last ones we had in person prior to this was in 2020 and man what a great job you guys did pulling the community together and, and to be able to share very openly the opportunities um, and you know your competitors were there and your partners were there and everybody and it created this just sense of shields down we're all just one team here and and, uh, and, and the amount of partnerships and innovation and connections that have been made through these events that you guys have created has just been phenomenal. You've been a big part of the growth of the industry. So, you know, partners like you that are willing to just kind of step up and take a bet on something, you know, it's great to see that pay off and for you guys to find success. Yeah, well, thank you for that. It's a fun backstory, right? A lot of people didn't believe this little German thin quiet company had, uh, had the uh, wherewithal to actually host a EUC forum and a conversation, but it's taken on a life of its own. and given some of the changes in the industry, it's actually an even bigger and more important. We've been told, as I, I was in five of them in Europe uh, over the last month, you know, the partners are really you know, thirsty for this forum to have this conversation. There's so much going on here. So yeah, thank you for that. And thank you for being a great sponsor of it and uh, believing in it. Yeah, cheers. Great, well, I get to shake your hand since right we're on. not doing this virtually. <laughs> Thanks again and enjoy the rest of the uh, time here Looking in, forward to in it. LA. Thanks. Wow, that was amazing speaking with Scott Manchester. Stay tuned for really where the future of end user compute is going. He's going to lead us there. So uh, I want to put a quick shout out. The iGel Attic is a uh, production of iGel Technology. And uh, there's some key staff that help us put this together every time. Nicole Simons, my chief of staff. Ron Bowman is the executive director. We also have a crew that comes together under the uh, supervision of Peter Stepanek and Jamie Godfrey is the editor so it's a, a really amazing team effort to put this together we hope that you uh, enjoy it you can uh, subscribe on YouTube and that will get you all the alerts of uh, as new episodes drop we also now have it on podcast so happy to have you listen to this uh, on your favorite podcast until we meet again please uh, be kind to each other and uh, be well and we'll see you again somewhere soon Thank you so much.